This is a Charles Russell Speechlease podcast. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. Um, I'm Olivia Gray. I'm joined today by my colleagues Charlotte Juvie and Peter Bird. Um, we're all part of the IP litigation team here at Charles Russell Speechlease. We are going to speak to you today um, focusing on intellectual property issues in respect of social media. Um, really, we're looking at two categories. Um, we're going to look at hashtags, um, which mainly presents to trademarks and issues of trademarks. And we're also going to be looking at memes and gifs and stickers. Uh, these have more of a sort of copyright relevance. Uh, without further ado, I think I'm going to hand over to Peter to talk to us about hashtags. Pete, for the uninitiated, could you possibly explain to us what are hashtags? <laughs> yes, thank you. Well, I, I hope most people will have at least heard of hashtag before. Um, but essentially, they're um, short, searchable links. Um, usually a word or a couple of words um, that people put as part of a post on social media. Um, they're called hashtags because they are preceded by the hashtag symbol, which I'm sure everyone's familiar with. Um, and uh, yeah, they're quite widely used across all social media platforms. That's really helpful to understand exactly what they are. Could you explain to us why, why you might use them? I mean, I think it's really quite obvious, but it's to... To, to show people that you're talking about something, is that right? Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's an indexing function, really. So it's, it's, to, it's to kind of plug your post into a relevant topic. Um, and there's different, there's different kind of forms of, uh, of use of a hashtag. Um, I think probably the most basic is, is maybe um, accompanying a photo. So if you are on Instagram, lying on a beach, you might put a picture of yourself on the beach or a picture of the beach with, you know, hashtag beach. That's a very simple one. Um, and the reason why you do that is because other people can then search, they might be able to click on your hashtag or they might be able to search the hashtag beach and you want people to find your your photo when they're doing that. So that's one of the key ways. Another, um, and I think this is how hashtags evolved in the first place actually is um, when you're um, engaging in a conversation or a discussion on Twitter, um, and that's, you know, you might be talking about um, Strictly, so you'll say, hashtag, you know, this person is very good at dancing, hashtag Strictly. And the reason why you'd want to do that is to engage other people um, in the conversation and other people who might be looking for hashtag Strictly. And of course, on Twitter, you have the trending function, so you can look at what's trending in your area or in the world or in the UK or whatever, and you can see what topics there are. Um, in terms of business use, it's probably... Um, quite self-explanatory if you want to, um, you know, I think one of the key ones was hashtag share a Coke, which Coca-Cola did, and they were trying to get people to post pictures of their personalised Coke bottles or cans um, with hashtag share a Coke. So you, you kind of look at, you can click on that or search that hashtag to find your name somewhere, perhaps. And thinking about it from an IP perspective, um, I sort of flagged at the start of our, this podcast, but really it's, it's trademarks is what we're focusing on when it comes to hashtags, because you're, you might be using someone's brand um, or someone's slogan within, within a hashtag. Yeah, well, certainly from a commercial perspective, um, uh, you need to consider trademark issues when using um, hashtags. And I guess the kind of, the, the two sides of the coin is, uh, uh, the two sides of the coin are, 
do you can you protect what you're using if you're using it as a business and are you actually allowed to use it if, if someone else may be using it as well um, and actually it's quite simple from for those of us who are versed in trademark law it's quite simple because all of the rules that apply to trademarks will apply to um, hashtags where they're used in the course of trade so it you know for example is it a protectable mark um, so is it descriptive is it distinctive you need to think about all of those things um, and if it's you know hashtag your company name then it probably is uh, probably is distinctive um, and can be used and can be protected um, if it's you know hashtag you know happy friday <laughs> then that's quite generically used it's not very distinctive and it's, it's much more difficult to do um, the gray area from that perspective is where um you have kind of sayings, and I think some of the most famous ones are, for example, hashtag like a girl is um, protected, registered as a trademark by Procter & Gamble um, in respect of feminine hygiene products, and is used quite widely. Um, and so that's the kind of, is that distinctive? Is it descriptive? Um, is it, does it actually function as a trademark? Um, at the moment, it looks as if the trademark offices around the world have accepted that it can function as a trademark, but I'm not aware that it's been tested anywhere, so that would be quite interesting to see. And when it comes to, to registering these hashtags, do the advice, I think, would seem to be to just register the, the word or the slogan that you're interested in and not worry too much about protecting it as a hashtag? Um, I think so, yes. I think, again, it, in trademark law, the word mark is always the strongest. If you put a hashtag before it, you don't you don't necessarily want to just protect it with the hashtag. You want to protect it as the brand in its own right. Um, and when third parties use it with the hashtag, your word mark without a hashtag uh, is strong enough to uh, is strong enough to do that. And actually, there was a recent case um, concerning Stormzy Limited. Um, around he, he he tried to register hashtag murky and um, although the, the decision is, is is not really relevant here one of the comments from the EU this was an EU trademark and the EU IPO said that consumers would um, just ignore the hashtag they'd, they'd appreciate that it was being used as part of a conversation but actually you know it's not that relevant um, not sure whether that's necessarily correct and whether I necessarily agree with that but that's certainly the line that we're going down in terms of the um, decisions by various trademark offices. I'd agree with with your comments on that decision and um, I think the, the one point I would take away from that is that the hashtag acts as sort of like a, um, a small visual element so when you're comparing two trademarks you might look at the word elements predominantly because they're going to be the important part to compare so if one word has a hashtag and one doesn't then I think they were right but um, otherwise no, I think people might take a bit more out of the hashtag and not simply ignore it. And I think that might also be different if you've got a long mark, because hashtags don't have spaces. So if you've got a long strapline, a long slogan, it might look very different actually as a hashtag compared to the separate word elements. Um, and that might be an instance where you actually go for the, the hashtag trademark application rather than the traditional word mark the spaces. Yeah. And of course, the advice that we give time and time again to anyone that will ask us is if something is part of your brand, you need to consider registering it. And actually, the hashtag with the physical hashtag on it might be part of your brand as much as the word. So you need to consider whether it's worth registering both. Yeah, very true. I suppose back to Charlotte's point, it's 
as a consumer when you are speaking about hashtag and it's a long slogan, you will say hashtag now I've had a blank about what a good slogan would be, but uh, hashtag like a girl um, does appear very differently to a sentence like a girl. It's a sort of different, has a different connotation yeah. to it. And people do say it, don't they? You know, someone might say, you know, hashtag happy Friday, walk into the office and say that. I mean, people do. I've heard people do that. So, <laughs> yeah, and that is quite different to saying happy Friday. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's certainly... You know, whilst it is, whilst all of the trademark considerations are there, there is something above and beyond when dealing with hashtags, and they do operate in their own little area, and you do need to really think about what you're doing. Do you want to tell us a bit about the risks of using hashtags, and what what businesses and brands need to be sort of careful about doing when they do use hashtags? Yeah, so as we've just discussed, hashtags are and can be um, brand rights, and many people have protected their hashtags. Um, and many people use hashtags that are protected either as a, as a trademark or um, as a hashtag in its own right. So um, at the risk of repeating my earlier <laughs> comments, you need to think about all of, the, all of the usual considerations of trademark law. And if something would be an infringement of a registered trademark as used as a hashtag, then that's an important consideration for when you're using your social media accounts. Now, Hashtags are slightly different from traditional kind of adverts and traditional media where you would um, perhaps take longer to think about what you're posting. Um, you, might, you might run your posts through uh, a marketing company or through you know, the newspaper clearance people. Um, whereas hashtags, the difference that I can see is that anyone can sit back and, and post on social media using hashtags without giving it too much thought. And I think it's quite easy to think, oh, I can just do this and, and, and you know, it's just, a, it's just a Twitter post, so what's going to happen? But actually, if you're using a mark and you're using a mark that it belongs to someone else and you're using it in the course of trade, then you're at risk of infringing their, their trademarks. I suppose, obviously, if you're using it to directly refer to their product, then you're probably using it in a way that is a descriptive use of the actual mark and not in a, in a sense that in a way that would infringe yeah. the trademark. Yeah, so I think with hashtags, there's a lot more descriptive use than uh, in, in you know, normal media because um, you know, it's quite common for you to put a picture of you drinking a can of Coca-Cola saying hashtag Coca-Cola. Mm -hmm. That's not really trademark use in the course of trade and it's probably not an issue and actually it's probably good for Coca-Cola to have people doing that. Um, but if you posted a picture of you sat there with a nondescript drink that you've made yourself <laughs> and say, would anyone like some to purchase some of this? <laughs> Hashtag Coca-Cola. <laughs> then that's trademark use. Um, and that's, you know, it's, it, it's as much of an infringement as putting an ad in a paper saying, would anyone like some of this Coca-Cola? Um, and, and I think people, it's quite easy to forget that sometimes when you're dealing with um, hashtags. I think the other interesting thing about hashtags and that online sphere is that you can use, it might be a brand that you want to use, whether it's yours or someone else's, but there are also lots of you know, political movements and other sort of uh, uses of hashtags, and it's making sure that you're not misusing one, I suppose, and having that awareness, maybe an internet search before you post using a hashtag, just to make sure that you're not hijacking something that's very important to people and you'll be criticised for that, but also making sure there isn't some sort of untoward meaning behind a particular hashtag, which will look unfortunate, and, and reading those words together as well, just to make sure that you haven't created some sort of alternative 
region that, that wasn't intended, because when you take the spaces out between words, it can look very different to how it looks when <laughs> separate words. Yeah, and I think that's the grey area with hashtags, again, above and beyond traditional media, is that it's very easy to post, you know, I'm walking down the street, hashtag like a girl, or something. I'm <laughs> um, realising you've inadvertently <laughs> tapped into someone else's campaign that probably doesn't direct to what you were trying to exactly. say. Exactly, and you know, that's a common, it is a phrase that people might use, and you've tapped into, you know, someone else, what, a, a mark that someone else considers theirs and a mark that someone else has registered. So, uh, as Charlotte says, the key thing is to always just take a step back, have a think, do some Google searches, speak to a trademark lawyer, say, can I do this? <laughs> And I think that probably in the, in the online world where you have limited characters as well, um, it's more of a fine line between descriptive use and perhaps taking unfair advantage when you're not comparing a product or service in the way you might in a, in a more traditional advert. So it's just sort of being aware of that as well. It's purely descriptive and that's probably fine, but if it's sort of a more of a grey area of use, then you might want to consider that more carefully. Yes, and I suppose make sure that you're complying with um, comparative advertising um, requirements in the way that you would probably think about if you were looking at a more standard advert. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you very much, Pete. That was really interesting. I think, Charlotte, I think you were going to chat to us a bit about memes and gifts and stickers. Um, I think I'm pretty clued up on memes and gifts. Stickers is a new one to me. You could tell us a bit about these. Yes, of course. But stickers was quite new to me too, but apparently they've been around for some time. Um, so just to run through the, the three types quickly, memes tend to be an image. It's normally something that's slightly humorous, and uh, it's obviously difficult to share something like this on a podcast. But <laughs> if, you, if you look for popular memes, there are things like condescending Willy Wonka and distracted boyfriend, apparently very popular. Grumpy cat. And of course, the world-famous grumpy cat. GIFs, which um, is short for graphic um, interchange format, and that tends to be a short, loot, moving um, image. And there's you know, Obama's mic drop, turned into GIF, and Leonardo DiCaprio's Gatsby, um, that's a very popular one too. And then stickers are um, like an emoji, but slightly more detailed, and they sort of evolve from uh, Japanese anime and become present on, you know, iPhone will have its own, WhatsApp will have their own, so they've been used uh, as a more sort of detailed sticker. And these are different to hashtags because they tend to fall under copyright. There might be words present in, in some of them, but they tend to be copyright images. So the um, they're used in different ways. They're not going to necessarily be um, present under a picture of Hashtags are easy to describe, they might be shared on their own or with uh, you know, other text elements, but they are slightly different. I guess they tend to be pretty transient, don't they? They sort of they're up for a period of time. They're not really there to be for long life unless I suppose they become particularly popular and then they're doing the rounds for, for ages. They're kind of everywhere for a week or two and then they disappear. Yes, they tend to be born out of something that's going on in, in the entertainment world or politically and uh, for a week or two weeks everyone shares them and then that's it, that one's gone and yeah. there'll be another one that, that takes their place. And so they're mainly, they mainly use third-party content, you don't sort of tend to create your own content and then make it into a meme or a gift, you're usually taking someone else's content. So the IP issues from that are obviously quite, quite important and there's, there's quite a lot to think about there. Yes, there are. Well, 
copyright protection will arise automatically um, in those rights of which you've created that meme will get from scratch, then you should have protection. But of course, if you've taken someone else's image or a short loop video, whatever it may be, then there will be copyright in that. So you're essentially using someone else's work. And presumably you don't have permission because these things are done quite quickly and then shared and they become viral. Um, which I presume creates the issue of who actually created it in the first place, but sharing the, the copyright material could still be an infringement. Um, and generally we looked at whether you've taken um, an important part of that, how much you've taken, if it's a still from a film like The Great Gatsby, is that copyright infringement? Well, it could be. If it's a very important part, if it's a key scene, perhaps it is. Um, yeah, because you're clearly not copying the whole film, but you may be copying a substantial part of it. Yeah. Exactly. I, I suppose the reason you selected for the GIF or the meme is because it is recognisable. There's no point picking it as a movie that no one's going to have a clue what it relates to, because then the meme's sort of lost. Yeah, and of course the, the thing that I tend to find myself saying over and over again as an IP lawyer to clients is it's not, there's no sort of rule of, I've made X number of changes to this, so therefore it's mine. If you've taken a substantial part of something, Unless you've completely changed it and it's not as a new original creation of your own making, that's not that's never fine to do that. You know, it's still an infringement of their copyright. You may have separate copyright in your own creation, but you're still infringing the original um, owner or author's copyright. It's probably a difficult um, matter to enforce if you are the copyright holder because it is transient use. It's going to be very brief, and, and most of the time even if you didn't like what was being done with your work, you might not bother to do anything. Yeah. But I think where you might want to tread carefully is if you're using someone else's material to promote your product or service, and it is in that commercial context, and it might be present for a longer period, and someone therefore might want to take action against your copyright infringement. Whereas I think you or I sharing something on the platform is not going to give anyone great concern. Yes, because the copyright owner will look behind and if they see that it's a brand, for example, that's created it, they might see power signs. Yeah, and if it's used in a commercial context, then there's more scope for damages there. Um, of course, it's, uh, this also brings in the, the concept of where you're using it, um, because actually in the UK, that's, you know, we have a, some would say, relatively sensible approach in that damages for copyright infringement are directly linked to how much you've lost or how much the other person's made. Um, but actually, in some territories, including the US, you can have punitive damages for copyright infringement. So actually, it might be much more worthwhile, you know, especially if an, if an influencer shares a a meme or a gif and it has you know 20 million views then perhaps there is quite a large copyright award there um, and i suppose there's also potential defenses so you might be able to argue that your use of the imagery is, is parody or prestige or one of those sort of fair dealing defenses um which would sort of get you over the line but of course it would always depend on the facts and each case turns on its own, its own merits yeah and actually a, a brand or a commercial entity using a a meme to promote their products rarely will fall into one of those defences. So that's where it, you know, as Charlotte said, if it's if it's you or I or someone in their individual capacity sharing, although it still probably is copyright infringement, there's lots of ways out, and actually it's rarely rarely worth the copyright owner enforcing it. But as soon as you look at commercial use, then it can become problematic. And um, I think on the flip side, that if you do create 
a meme or, or a GIF or a sticker from scratch that you probably will get copyright protection in that automatically as it will be an artistic work, it might be an illustration, a photograph. And um, so you could stop others using it, but again, you probably aren't going to go to the time and expense unless someone uses it commercially. But of course, you mentioned Grumpy Cat earlier, Peter, who was an internet sensation, and he began life as a meme. Um, apparently, it was a photograph of the very grumpy-looking cat, I think it's called something like Todd Sauce, and that went viral and, and generated a fortune for the owner of Grumpy Cat. And, protected by way of trademark registrations and um, was even involved in litigation because of use of the cat's image and brand name. I think it was in relation to coffee and they were awarded uh, a huge amount of damages for copyright infringement and trademark infringement amounting to about 700,000 US dollars. So whilst I'm saying that perhaps you, know, you might not want to do it your meme, there will be the occasional one that has this sort of rise and becomes incredibly valuable. I wonder whether that was because that was in a slightly earlier time and they probably were, I think it would be very difficult now when something goes viral so quickly to kind of stop, to stop it going from going viral, whereas that I think they, they obviously took some sensible advice about protection of their rights and they, uh, but they were perhaps at a slightly earlier stage in the social media life cycle where we weren't you know, sharing things 10 million times a day or whatever it is. I suppose we also need to think briefly about the sort of PR aspects of, of how you handle social media online issues. Um, Pete's already touched on the sort of risk of inadvertently linking your brand to something that, from a PR perspective, doesn't look great. Um, but also thinking about it from the other perspective, if you as a brand owner find somebody uh, using your, your mark or your slogan or your strapline in a way that, that doesn't really sit well and, and it's something you want to, want to take action and do something about, sometimes it's worth taking a step back and thinking, what is the consequence this going to be? Um, in the social media world where everything gets shared, is there a risk that you'll cease and desist letter that you may be very well within your rights to put together and to send? Is there a risk of that itself going viral and actually everything spiraling out of control, getting it more publicity? Whereas, yes, the initial infringement is, is a nuisance and is, is a frustration, but actually might just die away without sort of further fuss being made. Mm, and we've definitely seen a few of those, haven't we? We've, um, I'm not going to say any names, but there's quite a few restaurant brands where uh, we've seen cheap imitations of and letters from lawyers appearing on social media, which is, you know, sometimes can be quite embarrassing for, for the company enforcing their rights and for the lawyers involved. Yes, if you come across as heavy-handed, particularly when it's something that is going to be very short-lived and perhaps doesn't do much damage. And then there's the other approach that some parties take, like Brudog and Aldi, where they engage in discussions online and have a bit of fun with it. And they, they had a spat earlier this year over an Aldi beer, which was a, perhaps an imitation of a Brudog beer. And uh, they entered into a bit of fun really through Twitter, mocking each other I suppose really, and ended up collaborating and making a beer together which is now sold in Aldi and on the Brewdog website. So it's a different approach that perhaps um, wins them a few more fans. Yeah, makes it, it's a marketing tool in itself, almost sort of making a mockery of the process, um, gained quite a lot of media attention and you know, it was quite an interesting thing to witness. Excellent. Well, thank you both very much for your time today. I think that wraps us up 
for now. Um, as always, we hope you've enjoyed listening, and if you have any questions, um, please do get in touch with us directly. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. This is a Charles Russell Speechlease podcast.